Coming up on The Green Jumper, what happened behind the scenes when Cluffy was reunited with two former players? Grown men, they were waiting for their former boss, pacing up, yeah, when's the boss going to arrive, when's the boss going to arrive? And it was extraordinary, they were like kids outside the headmaster's room being told off. And talking of school days, we look back to when Brian coached a team of 10-year-olds. The kids were just in awe of a man who was a brilliant communicator. Plus, I'll be catching up with our first competition winner who'll never forget meeting Cluffy at a book signing. I was never more nervous to meet anybody in my life. So that was two years before he passed away, but he was still as sharp-witted as ever. And I remember when I complimented him how clear and legible his signature was, he told the story of when he signed uh, players. If he couldn't make out their signature, he'd tear up the contract. Well, my guest today is a former ITV sports presenter who recorded some memorable interviews with the great man and reunited him with some of his former players. It's a very warm welcome to Keith Daniel. My pleasure, Marcus. Well, we'll talk about that reunion in a little while, but generally speaking, how did you get on with Cluffy from a a TV journalist point of view? I was really fortunate in that I never had a problem with Brian, and I think there's a number of reasons for that. The first was when I first interviewed Brian, it was as a very young reporter when I was working for Radio Trent. And I went down to interview Brian because Martin Johnson, some of some of the listeners may remember Martin Johnson, the sports editor of Radio Trent for many years. Martin was the single best, most natural, brilliant broadcaster I ever worked with. He was absolutely brilliant. But for some reason, Martin couldn't go on that day. So I was sent down there. And I think three things sort of combined. One was Brian always got on well with Martin. So I was standing in Martin's shoes. The second one was that I, just before that, had interviewed a guy called Gordon Milne, who at that stage was the manager of Leicester City. And I got on really well with Gordon. And I told Gordon I was having to go and do Cluffy. And Gordon said, have you met him before? And I said, no. And Gordon said, I'll ring him and tell him you're all right. And Gordon was an absolute diamond of a guy. So so Gordon phoned Brian. And the third one, which I'm sure you've touched on in some of your memories previously, was that John Lawson, who was obviously the the freelance journalist who, who ran the agency, but also did an awful lot with Brian, was a very generous person in terms of his time. But I always got on well with John too. So I think those three combinations really meant that Brian gave me the benefit of the doubt to start with. And I therefore, for many, many years, got on fine with him without a problem at all. Well, one of my favourite memories is when you took him to meet some children at a a primary school. And uh, I think he really hit it off with the kids that day, didn't he? He was absolutely extraordinary, Marcus. He basically had been retired for maybe a year, maybe longer, actually, by then. And I had this rather stupid idea for ITV that we would take him out of retirement and make him the interviewer and meet up with some of his friends and foes, former players, former managers. And then I had this crazy idea that for the last programme in, in the particular series, we'd take him out of retirement and get him to manage a kids' team. And it was a kids' team of 11-year-old kids, so top year of primary school. Slightly to my surprise, he agreed to it. Slightly to my surprise, on the day we actually did the filming, it was freezing cold. It was a horrible day and shutting it down. Anyway, Brian 
turned up. And I had this, this idea that to start with, I would take him into the classroom to meet these kids and answer their questions. And Brian said to me, before we went in, who's the captain of the team? And it was a young man called Aaron. And Brian said, he gets to ask the first question. We sit, sit around, all the kids are down on the floor. Now, none of these kids would have remembered Brian, of course. Their parents might have done, and we'd, we'd sent the letter home, well, would have done. They would absolutely have known that Brian was a legend. So the first hand goes up, Aaron. And the question is so simple for a bunch of 10-year-old kids, and yet so brilliant. The question was, Mr. Clough, when we get out there this afternoon, what should we do? And Cluffy, being the best communicator I've ever come across, he was brilliant. He could relate to anybody, couldn't he? And I haven't set him up for this at all. But Brian produced a tennis ball from his pocket. And he looked at Aaron and said, if I throw this tennis ball to you, Aaron, what will you do? And Aaron said, I'll catch it, Mr. Clough. So Brian threw him the ball. Aaron caught it. And Brian said, what are you going to do with it now, Aaron? And Aaron looked round. There's 30 kids in the classroom. I'm going to throw it to Emily. Go on then. So he throws it to Emily and Emily catches it. And then Brian says to Emily, what are you going to do? And Emily said, I'm going to throw it to Sarah. So he throws it to Sarah. And Brian just said, right, now you throw it back to me. He catches it. And Brian says, that's all you do. When you get out there this afternoon, you get hold of the ball, you look after it, you give it to your friends, they look after it, and they give it to a friend. And if you get near the goal, you just kick it at the goal. <laughs> don't give it away. Don't lose it. Look after it as though it's your friend. And I just thought that is the best simple explanation of, you can call it Saribor, you, you can call it Pep Guardiola's tactics. Keep the ball, give it to your friend, keep the ball. And if you get near the goal, shoot at it. Brilliant. Yeah, philosophy that won many trophies as well over the years. Yeah. And obviously this is after he retired, as, as you mentioned, and he did go back on the touchline, didn't he, that day while, while he was at the school? Yeah, he did. I mean, what happened was the, 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 the game started and there was one particular lad, his name was James, I remember, who was the centre forward. And at that age with kids, I think they played seven aside, maybe eight aside. I forget exactly what it was. Obviously, Brian was a centre forward himself, wasn't he? And this centre forward kept coming back further and further to get the ball. And Cluffy, even though it was a friendly game for a bunch of kids and he was long retired, Cluffy was getting more and more frustrated with this. And after about five minutes, and that's all it was, five minutes, he shouts, send a forward, you're off, come here. And he pulled him off and substituted his, and the kid's face was destroyed. Fortunately, he put him back on after a bit. But the, the, the kids were just in awe of a man who they didn't really understand in terms of his reputation, but who was a brilliant communicator. And I think that was the abiding image that I, I have. And the memory of Brian at any level with any audience, if he chose to, he was a sensational, brilliant, natural communicator. And on that note, you were there when he made a really spectacular speech, I think, at the council house in Nottingham on the day he got the freedom of the city. Yeah, that was extraordinary. I mean, he didn't look his best at that point, Marcus, but, but he was absolutely on top of it. And he arrived on the coach and, and I, I'd been doing the show live for ITV and I had to fill for about 10 minutes. But the agreement was he would come across and I'd interview him live when the bus arrived. So I've been filled for 10 minutes. Lord knows what I talked about. He came across, did a super live interview. We came off there and then we were invited 
myself and former colleague Steve Landon into the council house to hear him actually give his speech when he was awarded the freedom of the city. So a lot of the old players were there, the councillors were there. Now, I was never in a dressing room with Brian, apart from that one with the kids that I was just talking about. But Brian spoke from the stage for maybe 10 or 15 minutes. And he was inspirational. I mean, these days I help people communicate better. And you talk to people about rhetoric, you talk to people about using their voice, you talk to people about pausing, light and shade, appropriate gestures. Now, I don't know if Brian ever studied any of this, but on that night, in that room, on that occasion, I would have done anything he had asked. If he'd have said, go and run through a brick wall, go and jump off the balcony, I would have done so because he used his voice, he used imagery, he dropped his voice, and then suddenly he'd come back in. And I can only imagine in a tiny way what it must have been like when he was absolutely at his prime in a dressing room, that closed environment in a dressing room, and he would have said something that made you feel so important, so important, that I think when you went out there, you would have been unbelievably motivated. You've just reminded me of a story. I'll, I'll, it remind me in a bit, Marcus, and I'll tell you about his Les Dawson story, actually, which was quite interesting. But I think at, at that particular point, he was just so phenomenal that he made you feel as though you could achieve anything. And I think that's one of the great skills that he had. Well, we'll talk about that Les Dawson story uh, later on, but I'm joined on the line now by the winner of our first competition. The prize was a signed copy of my Amazon top 10 best-selling book, Brian Clough, 50 Defining Fixtures. The winner is Kevin Reedy, who lives in Ireland. How do you feel about winning the book? Oh, delighted. It'll add to my collection of various fluffy books in different uh, examples of his career and from different viewpoints and perspectives. So it's it's very welcome. Thank you very much. Did you uh, have any fond memories of, of Brian yourself? Yeah, finally getting to meet him in 2002. Was, it was a great experience and uh, I was never more nervous to meet anybody in my life. So that was two years before he passed away, but he was still as sharp-witted as ever. And I remember when I complimented him how clear and legible his signature was, he told the story of when he signed uh, players if he couldn't make out their signature, he'd tear up the contract <laughs> and get them to sign another one. So he said to me that um, you'll have that book in your possession for years to come, so it's only right that I sign it properly. And he was 100% correct because it's it's definitely one of my pro- most prized uh, forest items and something I really cherish. I remember he always took his time in signing books very carefully making sure he got the names right of whoever it was to, and then making sure his name was nice and neat as well, and perhaps with a little message. So he really he really did take the time, didn't he? Absolutely, he really did. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I am just took it out there to look at it earlier on, and it's, it's, you know, you can make out every letter very clearly. So how did you come to admire Cluffy in the first place? With Forrest, um, you could say I was a glory-hunting eight-year-old. So really, he was ultimately responsible for putting Forrest on the map and bringing the club to the consciousness of people all over the world, really. So, you know, Forrest are very well supported in this country. Um, we've got two supporters clubs here and it's, you know, there's so many people travel over to watch the club, well, pre-COVID anyway, at home. 
um, on a match day from people going from Dublin Airport, the fly would be half full of Forest fans and maybe two or three Derby fans would be on the same flight. <laughs> Shows how Forest are a worldwide brand really still to this day, definitely because of him. Well, congratulations again, Kevin, and I hope you enjoy the book. Thank you very much, Marcus. Back now to my special guest today, the former ITV sports presenter, Keith Daniel. Now, you mentioned earlier a story involving Brian and the comedian Les Dawson. What was all that about? Okay, I can't remember the exact person we were interviewing. It may have been Martin O'Neill, but there's loads of other stuff with Martin. But what happened was we were talking about what would happen if somebody came into the dressing room when he was giving his team talk. And Brian said to me, a few years ago, I was one of the guests of honor at the Royal Variety performance, you know, the big thing that they used to have at the Palladium. And the star of the show was Les Dawson. And, and those of us of a certain age will remember Les Dawson as the comedian. But to any younger listeners, he, he was just a great legend, a Michael McIntyre really of his time, wasn't he? And Cluffy was backstage at the Palladium. And he was being shown round, and Les Dawson was in the main dressing room, the, the star's dressing room. And the, the guy showing Brian round said, oh, why don't you go and say hello to Les Dawson? And it was about 10 minutes before curtain up. So Brian said, yeah, okay, I'll go and say hello to, to Les. So Cluffy walks down, knocks on the door, and opens Les's dressing room door. And Les Dawson, and I will, I will temper my language here, Marcus, but Les Dawson tells him in no uncertain terms with sort of artisan language to go away. And Brian says, Brian tells this story himself, or told this to himself. Brian said, Les, it's, it's Cluffy. And Les Dawson, again, tells him to go away. And Brian says, Les, Les, it's Brian, it's Cluffy. And Les Dawson said, I don't care who the hell you are, get out, I'm working. And Brian told the story brilliantly without removing the, the bad language because what Brian said was I didn't realize that in the 10 minutes before Les Dawson went on stage in front of four or five thousand at the London Palladium and Lord knows how many millions on live TV at that point in those 10 minutes he was doing his if you like pre-match team talk and getting himself ready and Cluffy had invaded it and Cluffy basically was saying it was a real lesson to me because I didn't realize this transferable passage between my world of football and the importance of that team talk, which for all the reasons we've talked about, you can only imagine. And a great artist like Les Dawson, who also needed that moment where you didn't interrupt him. And, and Cluffy just thought this was fantastic, really. Yeah, really put it into perspective. And it also reminds me of that quote where he talked about meeting Frank Sinatra, although in his words... Sinatra met me, you know. I, you, you can understand it because no one would uh, would interrupt Cluffy's uh, brief team talk before a game. But I mentioned earlier, you, you managed to organise a, a special bit of television by filming him with um, some of his former players. How did that go? Surprisingly well. I wasn't sure how Brian would do as an interviewer. And I should never have had doubts because actually he was brilliant. And because I think the interviewees had this respect for him, 
they they wanted to participate. So we had no trouble persuading anybody to be engaged in it. The most memorable one for me was Martin O'Neill and John Robertson. And at that stage, it was just before they left Leicester City, actually. And they were absolutely flying high at that point. They, they won of trophies and they were absolutely flying high. So we went down and set up in what was then Martin's office, got the camera crews in and, and everything. And we were waiting for Brian to arrive. You have to remember that you've got two people here in, in John Robertson and Martin O'Neill who have won the European Cup, were absolutely the hottest managers around at the time. Grown men, incredibly confident, and yet they were waiting for their former boss, Brian to come down and interview them. And Robbo was like a cat on a hot tin roof. He was pacing up and down. When's the boss going to arrive? When's the boss going to arrive? And Martin was also just on tenterhooks. And it was extraordinary. They were like kids outside the headmaster's room being told off. When he arrived, so the idea was that Brian would interview them. And I, I remember this fantastic moment because we sat down. Brian's opening question to them was, well, guys, lovely to see you again. You're doing so well, aren't you? And Martin O'Neill just responded, Brian, it's lovely to see you, boss. But can I just say, I wasn't injured. I was ready to play in that European Cup final. And Martin just went on for about 10 or 12 minutes, exorcising these demons of the fact that Brian had made the decision to leave him out. And it was just extraordinary. Brian didn't get a word in for the first 10 minutes of the interview. It was fantastic. Well, you also interviewed him in the Forest Trophy Room for a video marking a special anniversary of those glory days. That must have been exciting, but a, a bit nerve-wracking as well. I think anybody who ever interviewed Brian would say that there was that balance that was always in any interview, because there was that slight element of unpredictability with him so yeah it was absolutely awe-inspiring for me to be in the trophy room there and being able to interview you weren't you were never quite sure what you were going to get were you that was the thing with Brian and he had that knowledge of how to really before the idea of how to manipulate a soundbite and all the media training that politicians get these days he was the absolute master of it right from the start and he was just brilliant at it. So whatever you asked him, he was able to answer it brilliantly. But a bit like a politician, he could tell you what he wanted to say, even if it wasn't quite the answer to the question that you'd actually asked. But he had the ability to communicate with people at any level and could reach out and press the buttons that would motivate people. And at the end of the day, however you look at it, he created this unbelievable side that was the best side in Europe, beat everybody, and then did it again. And interviewing Brian in the trophy room with all that silverware there that was, you know, nearly all of it down to him was just a, a huge part of my career that was a, a privilege, actually, to be honest. You know, let's be honest, I would have paid to do that and actually I was getting paid to do it. So it was just a privilege. He just was a media natural and for all his faults, and there were many, in my view, he was one of a very, very select group of people I've ever met who you would absolutely say was a genius. 
Well, on that note, I'll say thanks very much, Keith, for joining us today and, and sharing some great memories. Pleasure, Marcus. Nice to see you. And thanks again to you for listening. Don't forget there are discounts on my signed Cluffy books on brianclough.com and I'll speak with you again soon when we'll hear more memories of the great man in the green jumper. <laughs>